She was a German heiress, but sometimes her daddy canceled her credit card. She had millions of dollars coming to her, but could you just cover this one cab ride? Drinks were on her tonight, but oops, she forgot her wallet. With a lot of lies and a little bit of Balenciaga, she hustled NYC and got her own Netflix show. This is the story of Anna Sorokin, AKA Anna Delvey, AKA the Soho Grifter. Hi friends, I'm Katie, and this is Katie Does Crime. It's not clear when Anna Delvey became one of NYC's super rich socialites. Anyone you talk to met her when she was already a woman about town, known to all of the owners of all of the places a person would want to be seen. She was at the right parties, wearing the right designers. She made fast friends with important people, and the 60 million euro trust fund she kept talking about didn't hurt things. Anna Sorokin was born January 23, 1991, near Moscow, to a truck driver and a convenience store owner. Her family moved to Germany when she was 16, but she got out of there as soon as possible, saying that she and her parents just have different interests. Which I find kind of cute because like, yes, my parents thought I was a troubled teen because I listened to alternative rock music. That's how parents work. She had always been obsessed with design and art, reading Vogue and fashion blogs from a young age. So it's not surprising that she would drop out of art school in London, become an intern at a magazine in Paris, and find a way into New York Fashion Week in 2013. She loved New York City, so the magazine offered to transfer her internship here, but she said, nah, I think I'll just become a millionaire oil heiress instead. Or Russian diplomat heiress. Or antiques heiress. Whatever she wanted to be that day, or whatever people wanted to assume she was. Anna reportedly told one person that her oil billionaire dad would send her 30K at the beginning of every month, but because she would immediately spend it all, he decided to delay her trust fund. Now she'd be getting her $10 million a few months after her 26th birthday. Julia Garner, who plays Anna in the Netflix series, says that when she met with Anna in prison, she was taken with how bubbly, likable, and charming Anna was. But Anna was described by others as too direct, tactless, confident in a way that didn't make sense based on her so-so appearance, also impulsive and entitled, haughty and erratic, friendless and pitiful. And this is from people who liked her. She had an accent you couldn't quite place, like a mix between Valley Girl and your mean high school German teacher. But you can buy friends in power in New York City. It seems like one of Anna's first cons in NYC was to befriend a well-known art collector and ask to be his guest at a Venice arts festival. She asked him to book plane tickets and a hotel room, and his understanding was that he would be paid back upon their return. But Anna just seemed to forget. You know, like rich people do. You get this trip to Venice, and then I'll get the next trip to Rome. Pinky swear. Soon after, the same art collector was contacted by a restaurant where Anna had thrown a swanky birthday party for herself, and they wanted to know if he could get a hold of her. She just walked out on the bill. This became the behavior Anna was well known for. Well, that and paying cash for everything and tipping everyone in $100 bills when she suddenly did have money. She was inviting people like Macaulay Culkin and notorious pharma bro Martin Shkreli to her dinners. She was calling up the owner of a private jet company for the small favor of a free cross-country flight after meeting him in passing one night. She was living in expensive hotels and emptying out the minibar of its $6 Cokes. But she was also conveniently finding a way to not pay for them. Sometimes she would be all, let me buy you this $400 t-shirt. 
and other times she was having her belongings locked up by hotels that she swore her family's financial advisor would be sending payment to. Those international wires, so unreliable. Anna made a friend who worked at one of the hotels she was not paying for, and this woman describes a time when the two of them were out to dinner in Soho. When it was time to pay, Anna offered up one physical credit card that was declined, and then a whole list of credit card numbers, 12 written down on a page. The waiter went through them one by one with no luck, and that was when the friend realized she was about to be stuck with the bill. Another friend, a trainer, accompanied Anna to Marrakesh in 2017, where a private villa and butler were waiting for them at the $7,000 a night resort Anna had reserved for the week. The trainer got food poisoning and decided to end her trip early, but a desperate Anna called her up a week later from another city in Morocco. The Four Seasons there couldn't get any of her credit cards to work, and they claimed Anna was going to be arrested. The trainer tried her credit card, tried calling her bank, and even tried asking another friend for her credit card number, but nothing would go through. The trainer promised the hotel that Anna was good for it and bought Anna a plane ticket back to NYC. First class, of course, was Anna's request. This trip would be the start of her downfall. Another friend Anna knew from around town also accompanied them to this supposedly all-expenses-paid vacation in Marrakesh. This friend knew of Anna and her 40K Instagram followers before they actually met, but she liked that Anna was so eager to become friends and was paying for bottle service and steakhouse dinners and private fitness instruction and, as luck would have it, everything in Morocco. The friend, Rachel, had to put the plane tickets on her credit card because a minor snafu prevented Anna from covering them, but Anna had promised to pay her back. That was forgotten as they indulged in private tennis lessons, breakfast by the pool, dinner and drinks at the hotel's luxury restaurant, and a concierge to guide them around to the best places for Instagram photos, all provided by this five-star resort. Anna kept having problems with her credit card. She said she hadn't called her bank to tell them she was traveling. So Rachel found herself paying for Anna's custom dresses at the Medina, dinner for the group at another five-star hotel, and soon enough, the $7,000-a-night hotel stay itself. An employee stopped Anna as she walked through the lobby one day, but she told her friends it was no problem. She just needed to call her bank. The next day, she was stopped again, and as she huffed and puffed about the inconvenience, her friends were told that a hotel employee had been fired for not running Anna's credit card before they arrived. Anna made some calls, but then she just stopped and stared blankly while the hotel guard stood waiting. Rachel was forced to hand over her credit card, which Anna and the hotel assured her wouldn't be charged because of course Anna would make things right through her bank before the end of their stay. The next day, when the charges actually were showing up on her account, Rachel was told by the hotel that she would be later credited back the same amount, which made sense to her, the way some companies will drop a dollar hold on your card just to make sure it's real and then take it back later. Rachel left the trip the next day as planned and later got a text from Anna saying that she'd wire over $70,000 to cover the hotel, dinner, and clothes. This had not been what Rachel agreed to when she handed over her credit card to save Anna from humiliation, but she also trusted that Anna was good for it. The wire still hadn't come in by the following week, and the money she was charged in Morocco was more than Rachel took home in a year. She figured, though, that you know how rich people are. 70K here, 70K there doesn't mean much, but 70K is no drop in the bucket for the rest of us. She kept on top of Anna like it was her full-time job, staying up at night stressing and going to work looking like a woman coming undone. Anna, meanwhile, acted like nothing had changed, saying that, no, no, the wire is still totally on the way, and do you want to work out with me tomorrow morning? 
A month later, Anna claimed to have a check for Rachel that she'd totally tried to deposit, but wouldn't you know it, the bank was closed. So Rachel just showed up at Anna's hotel in NYC the next morning, but after looking everywhere through piles of paper and overflowing suitcases, Anna claimed that she must have left the check in the Tesla she'd borrowed from a dealership. But calls there and to her lawyer didn't help, and Anna was just kind of like, oh well, oopsie, but Rachel just refused to leave. She literally followed Anna to and fro that day, watching her lunch at a Michelin star restaurant, watching her eat oysters and drink wine in the hotel lobby, not talking to her, but just watching to make a point. Until 11 p.m., when Rachel finally just had to go home. I hope you had fun at least, Anna said. Rachel had promised to return the next morning, but Anna skipped out before her arrival. But then Anna had the gall to call and ask if she could sleep on Rachel's couch when she had to check out of her hotel. Rachel, being too good a friend, allowed Anna to crash at her place. She continued to kind of think things like, maybe Anna has just run into some bad luck, but she kind of needed to pay the rent and had to try the NYPD and civil court, both of which basically told her she was lucky to have been on such a great trip to Morocco. Rachel and the trainer confronted Anna one last time after that, but Anna stared blankly at them, not caring about hurting her friends, and only concerned that the New York Post had put out an article calling her a wannabe socialite. It was then that Rachel decided to email the New York County District Attorney's Office saying, I think this girl is a con artist. And they agreed. Anna was arrested in 2017 outside of Passages, Malibu, where she had checked herself into rehab. She was on her way to what she thought was lunch with Rachel, but Rachel was in on the sting operation to nab Anna. Later in court, Rachel finally learned how Anna had managed to keep the con going for as long as she had, and why she was always paying for everything in cash. Anna forged documents showing she had 60 million euros in foreign accounts. She took this to one bank here in NYC to get a $22 million loan for the creation of an art gallery and private club on Park Avenue that she was going to call the Anna Delvey Foundation. The bank asked for $100,000 to cover their due diligence expenses associated with the loan, so she went to another bank and convinced them to allow her to overdraft her account by $100K if she promised to repay them later. She then backed out of the loan process because the bank was planning to send their people overseas to actually check her assets, but Anna kept the remainder of the $100K they returned to her. She would then do things like deposit 160 k in bad checks she knew wouldn't go through, but then transfer 70 k out before the checks bounced. So that's why she would be able to throw cash around for a while, but then have to beg, borrow, and dine and dash soon enough. It was kind of a Ponzi scheme, and I always wonder, who would want to live like this? I can barely ask my friends to watch my YouTube videos, and here's this girl asking her friends to dress her in Gucci and put her up in the Bowery Hotel, and being a total dick if anyone dared question her. When the managers of one of the hotels Anna stayed at demanded payment from her, she bought web domains in their names and demanded they pay her to hand them over and who knows what she would have posted about them. In classic Anna style, a whole to-do was made over the outfits she wore to court from the Rikers Island prison. Now, the idea that I live in New York City and might have to go to famously horrible Rikers Island if I mess up is what keeps me from so much as jaywalking. An Instagram account, Anna Delvey Court Looks, was even created in Anna's honor. Apparently, her attorney would bring her sample outfits that would cause sobbing outbursts from Anna, so a trial stylist was brought in. And I guess these outfits on the Court Looks Instagram account is what they came up with? I suppose it's better than an orange jumpsuit. Anna's parents didn't attend her trial, but her dad later said that his daughter had a selfish personality that came from nature. So much for proud oil tycoon daddy. 
Anna's lawyer claimed that what she had done wasn't a crime because she intended to pay everyone back. She had just been faking it until she made it. But after a month-long trial, Anna was found guilty of stealing over 200 k from hotels and banks and sentenced to 4 to 12 years at a New York State prison in 2019. She was found not guilty of swindling her friend Rachel in Morocco because no one on the jury seemed to feel sorry for the girl who'd been along to enjoy the ride. But Rachel at least got a little payback by writing the book My Friend Anna, The True Story of a Fake Heiress, which has been optioned by HBO. In the end, there was never any trust fund. When it was revealed that Anna Delvey's real last name was Sorokin, she said Delvey was her mother's maiden name. Anna's parents say they have no idea where Delvey came from. Her family's financial advisor, who was supposedly back home in Europe, turned out to be calling from a burner phone bought in an NYC supermarket. Anna said everything she had done was on account of the work, that she had wanted to be taken seriously. A few things had gone wrong along the way, a few friends had been hurt, but as Anna said, that doesn't diminish the hundred things I did right. When she was up for parole in October 2020, though, she had miraculously come to Jesus and said, I just want to say that I'm really ashamed and I'm really sorry for what I did. I completely understand that a lot of people suffered when I thought I was not doing anything wrong. She was released from prison in February 2021 for good behavior after serving almost four years and immediately went back to being unapologetic on Instagram. But a little over a month later, U.S. immigration picked Anna up for overstaying her visa after a judge declared her a danger to society. She's currently in the Orange County Correctional Facility in Goshen, New York, waiting to find out if she'll be deported back to Germany. Anna says she prefers to be a detainee in America than free back home. Anna was paid $320,000 by Netflix for the rights to her story, which she used to pay her fines and restitution to her victims, and then also buy herself some designer clothes. But her friend Rachel takes issue with the fact that the quote-unquote millions will watch as Anna is portrayed as a complex anti-heroine fighting against her personal demons and a world that constantly underestimates young women. And it's true, the Netflix series Inventing Anna has a strong theme of women having to stick together in this world where even your lender at the bank is trying to get a handful on the way to the elevator. Some comments on her Instagram post say she got what she deserved, sure, but many others call her a girl boss and say she was only doing what powerful men the world over do. Anna says she wants to show the world that she's not this dumb, greedy person, and it seems like she may get her chance. From her ICE detention center, she's working on a docuseries that will explore the next chapter of her life. Sometimes crime does pay. What are your thoughts on Anna profiting from her thefts? Do you think she's a feminist hero or a low-down, dirty liar? Thank you for tuning into my podcast episode. I'm just a true crime fan like you are, and I really appreciate you taking a chance on me. Please subscribe and tell a friend if you liked spending this time together. You can also find me on YouTube in the flesh by searching Katie Does Crime. Until next time, I'm Katie, and this has been Katie Does Crime.